Oh, and by the way, Mr. Anderson kept taking me back to the Matrix. <laughs> me too, and I don't even like the Matrix. <laughs> I kept waiting for Hugo Weaving to come come out. Mr. Anderson. I'm Chris. I'm Amy. And you're at the movies with the madams. Hey, everybody. Hello. So we are continuing back to school month today with a film that has more red flags than the entire nation of China. And Russia combined. Yeah. Yeah, I would say so. We are discussing uh, the perks of being a wallflower today. A title that really doesn't make any sense because there is not a one wallflower in this movie. So the one line that Emma Watson says, you are now officially a wallflower. I think that's the only thing that explains the title of the movie. Wow, I've seen this twice. Missed that line entirely. (laughs) (laughs) I think I have missed out a lot of the big stuff, so it's good for me to catch the small stuff. I was so lost in this movie. I yeah. I feel extremely underqualified to be recording this right now. Yeah, I felt like uh, Chris Pine at the recent uh, Venice Film Festival. A little too easy <laughs> to just check right out here. I feel like Harry Styles. I'm just clueless. <laughs> yes, but in your defense, you have more than two thoughts rattling around in your empty head. Okay, sure. Maybe it won't sound like it for this recording, but sure. (laughs) So as for what we just call Wallflower, at some nebulous point before cell phones, a Pittsburgh teen tries to find his place in the whitest high school in America. Mm -hmm. I would say this would be like late 90s, I guess. Oh, we're going to talk about it. I have systematically dated this movie. (laughs) Okay. For once, my pop culture brain comes in handy for something, as my husband would say, finally. (laughs) So as for the stars of this movie, we're going to cut it into two categories. So first we have stars, and then we have big names who are barely characters. Mm -hmm. So for stars, we have Logan Lerman. Emma Watson. Ezra Miller. And Mae Whitman. And the big names who are barely characters include (laughs) Paul Rudd. Well, he did a good job with what he had. And we have Dylan McDermott. Kate Walsh. Melanie Linsky. And for God knows what reason, Joan Cusack. So this movie is also based on a book of the same name. Mm -hmm. And neither of us have read it. And neither of us is gonna. Yeah. That's for damn sure. Mm-hmm. I've heard good things about the book. Well, if it's from the same people who like the movie, that tells us all we need to know. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not a bad movie. It's just weird. And tomato, tomato on that. <laughs> so a big part of the problem here is that the author of the book not only wrote the screenplay, but also directed the movie. Mm-hmm. Stephen Tobosky, that's a little too much multitasking, buddy. Yeah, I, I feel like this entire movie is one big vanity project for him. Yes, you are so right about that. And if ever a movie needed a woman 
on a screenplay. Huh. This movie has me quite concerned about this man around mm-hmm. girls. Yeah, and I also don't know how bad it is in the books. If he's added more or removed stuff from the books. If anyone has read the books, please let us know at feedback at themadamspod.com. Yeah, like after watching this, I legit went online and looked up news on this guy to see if there had been any allegations of sexual misconduct against him. Mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of his stuff is, at least based on the movie, it seems more incel-ish rather than anything else. Yeah, we're going to get into all of it. Mm -hmm. Now, I just watched this movie for the first time for the show. Yeah, I watched it a couple of years ago because it's one of the movies you should watch. And I was very confused by the end of it. Yes. Yeah. And I think looking at this through my 35-year-old eyes, I think you have to be like 13 to 17 years old to actually enjoy this movie. Yeah, sure. Because it is these teens. It's all about these teens. And what is it with teenagers and trying to talk in this overly brainy and like everything is so profound way that's not how teenagers talk yeah um this movie doesn't reflect how teenagers do anything yeah uh so let's start with some of the aesthetic issues we've got going on here this was a big point of confusion for me Mm -hmm. so remember how in goodwill hunting we discussed how It was very much a 90s movie, but it didn't feel dated Mm -hmm. because it was set so well in its time. Right. In all of its frosted mushroom cut glory. (laughs) So this movie does not do nearly enough to ground itself in a time period. Yeah. I think a big factor is the post-processing and color correction of the movie as well. Because this movie comes across as a regular mid-2010 movie. But it is supposed to be based on the, in the 90s, based on what we see with the mixtapes and all of that. Oh, I'll give you an even harder timeline than that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it feels like a movie that was made now that just doesn't have cell phones and computers in it. Correct, yeah. And it's especially glaring... Because of these kids being so quirky and weird, like you said. Yeah. So the quirky and weird was not something that was acceptable at that time. Right. It wasn't a source of pride. Very much so. And there's no way in hell these group of children, and I say children because they are, would be alive with no broken bones after performing the Rocky Horror Picture Show in front of their school. Never, ever in a million years would a community theater cast a bunch of children for Rocky Horror. Yeah. Ever. That's not legal. (laughs) You literally have a bunch of children running around half naked in public. No. I was cringing so hard seeing Emma Watson walking around in white underwear. Yep. I wanted to burn my eyeballs off. So I have determined through careful scientific observation that -hmm. this movie must take place sometime between 1982 and 1995. And here's how. (laughs) 
that's a big gap. <laughs> I know, but it's really hard to tell. Because here's the thing. These kids look like today's kids. Right. Which they are. Yeah. Mary Elizabeth with that haircut in the 90s. Get out of here. No. Right. Mm-hmm. You need to show me a perm, a feathered bang somewhere. I need to see some mullets on those boys. I need to see at least one punk kid. And some metallic clothes, because that was a big thing with the boy bands at that time. Well, NSYNC, I think, hit just at 1995. Okay. I think. Okay. So at one point, Sam, Emma Watson's character, says, quote, he's still trying to shag that waitress from the Olive Garden. We'll get into the problem with saying shag as it regards Emma Watson in due course. But let's stick with the Olive Garden for now. (laughs) Olive Garden did not come into existence until 1982. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. How the hell do you even know that? I Googled it <laughs> because <laughs> it really bothered me. This, the whole placement of this movie really bothered me mm-hmm. because we also have some theft going on. That helps me establish the timeline. When we first see Sam at the football game, the first thing at her mouth is, could the bathrooms here be any more disgusting? Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Friends. Yes. That is Chandler Bing. You cannot mm-hmm. tell me that's not Chandler Bing. Could that be more Chandler Bing? Right. Exactly. <laughs> so that started like season two, season three. I don't think he did that in season one. But even if it did, that means the timeline could actually be a little earlier. So I'm giving the movie the benefit of the doubt. Mm-hmm. So if it is that late then, Because there's no way, there's just no way this is an 80s movie. And if it is that late, then you're going to tell me these rich fucking kids, nobody's got CDs by 1995, nobody's got a basic computer, nobody's got a fucking Zach Morris phone. Come on. Okay. I'm trying to remember the timeline of CDs. There were CDs in 1995. Okay. And these little rich assholes would have them. Okay. These kids are impossibly rich. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, if you buy your friend a suit for Christmas, you're kind of loaded. Yeah, because that happens. Teenagers totally buy each other clothes. That's Mm -hmm. a thing. Yep. Now, while we're on the subject of friends. Okay. These crimes cannot be ignored. At the homecoming dance, Sam and Patrick decide to do the, quote, living room routine. Right. That is Monica and Ross at New Year's Rockin' Eve. Right. That is the routine. Mm-hmm. Now that, I don't think, is a reference. That they're not trying to date the movie with. That's just stealing. Right. They didn't do the same routine. Well, thank God. <laughs> no, of course they didn't do the same routine, but they definitely stole the idea. Right. Okay. Because remember, they're also siblings. Step, but they're still siblings. Yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. So then we could possibly say it's early 1990s before 1995. I guess, but everything still holds, you know? Mm -hmm. You've got to show me this is the 1990s. You don't have to throw up like Wonder Woman 84, but you've got to ground yourself (laughs) in a time period. Yeah, I don't think that was the priority over here with this movie. And again, I'm basing my opinions purely based on this movie, not the book. But it just seems like this whole movie is self-indulgent to the core. Yeah. 
And I think it also shows that Chbosky doesn't have the chops to write it because the only reason you set a movie like this back in that time, pre-internet, pre-cell phone, is that the internet and cell phone era would completely change the movie and completely change everything. And this guy doesn't have the chops to tell the story he wants to tell mm -hmm. with those elements added in mm -hmm. because it would be too difficult. Or it's more biographical. I don't know how old this dude is. All right. So yeah, let's talk about some of these characters. Were you at all creeped out by the combination of casting and things that happen in this film? In what sense? Well, okay. So as far as the real life actors go, age-wise, everything's fine. Everybody was at least 18. Mm -hmm. The thing is, they don't look it. Yeah. And Logan Lerman's character, our alleged protagonist, Charlie, mm -hmm. he's a freshman in an American high school, which puts mm -hmm. him at a solid 14. Seriously? There it is. There's the face. That's what I was waiting for. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So for us non-Americans, can you please explain this whole freshman, sophomore thing? Because I do not understand this. Freshman is first year, sophomore, second year, junior is third year, senior is fourth. Seniors are about 18. Freshmen are about 14. So Sam made out with a 14-year-old. Yes! And May was practically raping a 14-year-old. This movie is gross. I did not know that it, he was 14. I was thinking 16 and 18, and I thought that was wrong. Freshmen are not 16. No. What year is freshman? Like, which grade? Ninth, usually. So he's ninth, and she's... Twelfth. Twelfth. Okay. Yeah. yeah, it's both unrealistic and gross. Yeah, there's no way a 12th grade bunch of kids would be friends with a 9th grade. No, and they even say that in the movie, that that yeah. doesn't happen. It's, it's absolutely ridiculous. And they toast a 14-year-old. Yeah, mm-hmm, yeah. Is that a thing that friends do? I seem to be having very different type of friends. Yeah, yeah, we're going to dive into all of that. <laughs> mm-hmm. I do want to talk about some of these absolutely wasted actors, though. You mean everyone? Everyone. But some of our big names here. You can't give me Paul Rudd for three minutes and give him the best line in the movie. Well, they made use of him by giving him the best line of the movie. But the movie doesn't deserve the line. <laughs> That's the problem. <laughs> and the line I speak of is, we accept the love we think we deserve. I think this entire movie was birthed from this one line. I think you're right. And Chbosky has no idea what to do with this line. Mm -hmm. Paul Rudd also made me sad because I wish Mr. Anderson had been my freshman English teacher. Yeah, he seemed like a nice teacher. But on one hand, he seemed nice. But on the other hand, he just basically kept giving Charlie books to read and write reports. That's what it seemed to me. Yeah, again, another character that Chbosky doesn't know what to do with. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing, you read so many books and there's so many movies, and obviously they're written by people who are writers, but there seems to be this fetishization in this movie regarding writing. Mm -hmm. 
There's your autobiographical part. Yeah. So the English teacher was a writer who decided he doesn't want to write, he's a better teacher. And then we have Charlie who wants to be a writer. This whole movie is so self-indulgent. That's why I can't help but feel it's autobiographical mm-hmm. in some way. Or it's like a fantasized version of what Chabosky should have been his high school experience. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, Mr. Anderson still would have been a big improvement over my freshman English teacher, Mr. Crawford, who was an alcoholic to the point where he used to ask his uh, his ninth period, his last period of the day students for change for the bus because he was always broke. Seriously? <laughs> Seriously. My sophomore year uh, English teacher, he only lasted one year. He wasn't asked back. And uh, when we told our sophomore year teacher certain things about him, she just shook her head and said, I never saw that man in a vertical position. <laughs> Meaning he was always laying down on the couch in the teacher's mm-hmm. break room. Okay. <laughs> so we also have uh, Kate Walsh and Dylan McDermott. They are so underutilized. They're practically not in the movie. They don't even have names on IMDb. They're just mother and father. Yeah. Yes. Such a waste. I like both of them as actors. Yes, they are wonderful actors. Yes. And generally speaking, I never say no to more Dylan McDermott. And I don't say no to more Kate Bush. There you go. (laughs) And what's really frustrating is that the family scenes in the hospital are really touching. Like when we meet the the older brother who comes home, Mm -hmm. that's really nice. Like I really like Candace at the end, you know, Mm -hmm. when... We see her taking immediate action to save her brother. It's clear this is a very loving family. Yeah, and a lot of the attention is on Charlie. Yeah, but we don't spend enough time with this family. Exactly. That's the thing. Now, if you start the movie saying that I've only spoken to my family for the entire summer and then they're just non-existent till you have a bad time, what are you trying to tell us that even though you were with them, you weren't really with them or they weren't there for you? Whereas these bunch of stupid druggies were more of an impact for you? You really hit the nail on the head there because I'm never able to connect with Charlie mm-hmm. because it seems like Chabosky is trying to write him as a kid who's always on the outside looking in. Right. But he's not a good enough writer to accomplish what he's trying to do. Mm -hmm. But if he is someone who's on the outside looking in, he wouldn't be making that much of an effort to be on the inside. Exactly. There are a lot of books like that, a lot of movies like that, where you have someone looking at from the outside in. But this movie is actively telling us that he wants to be on the inside. And even though he's, he's reached there, he's on the inside, it seems like a spy movie for some reason, suddenly, he's still feeling disconnected, which is part of his mental health issue as well. Yeah. Speaking of which, we get that Joan Cusack tease as the doctor at the very end of the movie. And I love Joan Cusack. Mm -hmm. As a child of the 90s, she will forever be crazy Debbie in my mind. (laughs) Uncle Fester's Black Widow. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to put her in this movie... I need more of her. We need more of all these great actors in this movie. Yeah. Instead, we just get 
close-ups and close-ups and close-ups of Logan Lerman. Yeah, Chabosky's not a director. No. I was tired of this boy's face. Yeah, he doesn't know what to do with the camera. Mm -hmm. And that's coming from someone who both physically takes and is the subject of many terrible pictures. (laughs) You can attest to that. Yes, I have rejected too many of her pictures. I feel bad. Oh, please. It's nothing compared to my husband telling me to actively put my phone down that I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) He's not wrong. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit more about Charlie here. To Lurgan, to Lurgan Loman, to Logan Lerman's credit, change mm-hmm. your name, kid. To Logan Lerman's credit, I think he does a good job for what he's given. I think he does a good job of showing that Charlie is just going through the motions and he's like desperate for a friend. I agree. He, I think he's done a very good job with, with the character, but the character itself is a bit lacking. Yeah. And to your point about the books and and the book reports, this was just too much for me. This is a level of nerd that does not exist. I was a hardcore nerd and teacher's pet all through school, but even I didn't go around asking for extra weekly book reports. No. Yeah, but again, there's a disconnect. If he's doing these extra weekly book reports, granted the books were not really thick. You could read them theoretically in a day or two. But he also started having a very active social life. Mm -hmm. So how was he being able to do all this extra work? And tutor Sam, he's, again, he's three years younger than her. How could he be tutoring her? Yeah, I think it's not so much tutoring as, uh, you know, like testing people with flashcards, that kind of thing. Okay. Yeah, but still, you, you have a point. Now, the big problem with Charlie, too, is that I try, I really do but I never find him likable. Mm -hmm. At first he's neutral, then he's an asshole, and then he kind of redeems himself by the end of the movie. When does he become an asshole for you? So I lose any sympathy for Charlie uh, during that game of Truth or Dare. Uh Uh-huh, yes. That was a dick move. There are a few lines in this movie that are just friggin' awful, and Mm -hmm. I don't mean like, oh, this is bad writing. I mean an awful thing to say Mm -hmm. and this is one of them where he says his relationship with mary elizabeth he keeps fantasizing that one of them is dying of cancer so that he doesn't have to break up with her but that was his fantasy he didn't actually say that the narration right okay but to do what he does to just kiss sam in front of everyone with mary elizabeth sitting right there it's so shitty and he has no excuse he absolutely has no excuse and what patrick did first of all that's hardly a dare i mean it's obvious you have to kiss your significant other you just have to even if you can't stand them and they've got garlic and onion breath you just have to kiss them in a situation like this yeah like how do you think this is going to turn out Yeah, and that's hardly a dare, Patrick. Yeah, his behavior is just so shitty Mm -hmm. that I can't have any sympathy at all. I wouldn't want to talk to him again after that either. Yeah. And yeah, this is a very common problem in teenage friend circles, you know, dating each other and whatnot. It's it's almost a rite of passage. But to act like that? No. Mm -hmm. And then 
he compounds it by whining that he didn't mean to do anything. Didn't mean to hurt anybody. Yes, you fucking did. Yeah. You very clearly meant to do something. Mm -hmm. And what he says about like, I'm in a bad place and I didn't know what I did. That's an excuse. In this situation, it's an excuse. Yeah. And if you want to say that, okay, fine. Walk away. You don't get to say that and beg people to be your friend again. Mm -hmm. Especially when it's clear you don't actually care that you hurt anybody. You just want to be friends again because you want them back in your life. Right. You don't want to be lonely again. And more than anything, he wants Sam back. Yeah. So speaking of Sam. Mm -hmm. This may be an unpopular opinion. I actually think Emma Watson is pretty awful in this movie. Mm -hmm. I think she is stilted and miscast. And that accent of hers needs work. Okay. Hence, you can't have her say shag. (laughs) I think Sam being as interesting of character as she is, is because of Emma Watson. Well, I will say this in her defense. It's mostly the script. Sam is so horribly written. She is horribly written. And Emma Watson did the best she could with it. But she is the draw. Right. This movie came out in 2012. Is that when the last Harry Potter came out? Yeah. The last Harry Potter movie was in 2011. That's the Deathly Hallows part two. Yeah. Sam should be a very sympathetic character, but she's not. Because the fact of her trauma is never addressed as being trauma. This girl has been through hell. But Mm -hmm. the movie does not address it as such and makes her seem totally fine. Totally fine, uh, except for the fact that, oh, I can't believe I got into this college. Yeah, all the college shit in this movie makes me crazy. So that's the only thing that she seems to be having a problem with. And what Charlie keeps saying about she's dating a douche, we get this one throwaway line that he was cheating on her all along. Besides that, we don't see anything wrong with this guy. Yeah. So there's no reason for Charlie to be thinking that Sam is dating someone beneath her, except that he thinks he's better for her. And that's why I get incel vibes from him. Yeah, there's a lot of mansplaining that goes on with Sam, both to her and about her. Mm -hmm. So now let's deal with Ezra Miller. Okay. All right. So we're not going to discuss all of the shenanigans around him, we'll say. Mm -hmm. We'll we'll go Goodwill Hunting with the shenanigans, tomfoolery, and uh, I forget. We'll say malarkey. We'll we'll throw (laughs) Joe Biden in there. Um, If you want to hear us discuss more about Ezra Miller's nonsense, head over to our Patreon unlock those episodes on the bonus feed. And believe me, there's a lot we discuss over there. Oh, yeah. All right. So just to get it out of the way, you're going to notice that Amy and I are going to speak a little differently about Ezra Miller. I'm going to call him he, whereas Amy is going to call him they. Yeah, I'm going to try my very best to do that because chances are I will make a mistake. But in any case, no matter what kind of an asshole they are, I don't think that invalidating their identity is is the right thing to do so i'm going to try my best to call them they so i feel differently about specifically ezra miller i have absolutely no problem otherwise respecting people's pronouns and gender identities 
no problem. But it's specifically with Ezra Miller because he's mm. such a piece of shit and a performative <laughs> criminal piece of shit. Mm -hmm. And I also don't believe a lot of what he says. I think he hides behind a lot of things to try and uh, protect himself from criticism and whatnot. And again, just general piece of shit. So him demanding to be referred to as certain pronouns, for me, it would be like if for some reason I went to interview Bill Cosby and he demanded I refer to him as Dr. Cosby. I'd be like, no, fuckface. How about that? I'm just going to call you fuckface. That'll be your pronoun. <laughs> so like Amy said, it does require effort to, yes. you know, actively think about the pronouns. And I'm sorry, Ezra Miller doesn't deserve my effort. And that's, that's just how I feel. So there it is. To each their own. Yeah. The harder thing, though, for me to admit is that he's damn good in this movie. You know, I figured out the reason why he's good in this movie. He's playing himself? They're basically playing a less psychotic version of themselves. Yes. He is one of the few things worth watching in this film. Mm -hmm. But even so, the, the character doesn't have much growth. No, he doesn't have any growth mm -hmm. at all. Because yeah. that's the thing is Patrick is a damn good person. I think he's too good of a person. How so? He's too good to be real. So first off, like we said, he's a senior hanging out with this freshman, really mm -hmm. taking him under his wing. No, that's not happening. Yeah, that doesn't happen. That's, that's a weirdo thing to do. Yeah. And there was real opportunity for growth here. There could have been because he's playing a gay character. Have him go through something there in terms of his own identity because he starts out openly gay. He ends openly gay, which is actually, when you think about it, kind of unrealistic for the time period. Yes, it is unrealistic for the time period, 100%. But I would disagree with you about the journey that, that he should have taken. And I say he as the character, not yep. as Ramilla. Yep. That he should have taken as he started as openly gay and ended up at, at, at the end of the movie as openly gay. Because that's generally a thing that we, from an LGBTQ perspective, there tend to be a few, like a handful of storylines that an LGBTQ person will go through in a movie or a show. One is accepting their sexuality. Two is either having a storyline story like this where one is out, another one is in the closet. And with gay guys, it can be more of a violent situation, which is what happened in this movie. With women, again, it can be violence or pressure from family and stuff like that. Or when it comes to women, pregnancy. Sure. And the last one is death. Yeah. And I'm not saying he needed to start in the closet and then be gay. What I mean is that he's static. There is no growth. Like you said, he's just, he just is. Right. He can, he can be static in terms of his sexuality, but he can grow in other ways. His sexuality right. is not the defining thing that should be his character arc in any way right and it is it is yes yeah that's exactly the problem yep mm -hmm. hi everyone i'm nerd bomber and i'm tactic and we're two of the hosts of the online warriors podcast our podcast started as a way for three best friends to keep in touch and discuss their nerdy hobbies like movies gaming tech and more 
Since then, we've grown into a great community. Every Wednesday, we chat about the latest nerdy news before getting hands-on with our weekly nerdy adventures. And don't forget our high-stakes trivia game. Come join the fun at OnlineWarriorsPodcast.com and every major podcast platform. And now, back to the show. And another bit of theft here. Uh, When Patrick goes to school in his suit, that is Kevin Bacon in Footloose. Oh, okay. Yeah, I have a question about the suit. Number one, which kid would wear a suit to school? Kevin Bacon in Footloose. Okay. (laughs) Non-fictional. Yeah, they don't exist. Unless you're a Mormon, that's not happening. Right. Number two, would you honestly get bullied to the point of being thrown into some kind of room and getting beaten up because you were wearing a suit? Yeah, yeah, that's another big uh, big issue with this movie is the bullying, the, the tropiness of this. Yeah, I have so many questions about this. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll get there, but I want to talk about uh, Mary Elizabeth first to mm-hmm. round out these kids. Okay. I hate her. <laughs> She's supposed to be hateable. Why? I don't know. Yeah, she is. Because Charlie doesn't like her, and this is from Charlie's perspective. And I find it rather hard to believe that pre-internet, this girl has decided to become a Buddhist. And a vegan. Nobody knew what a vegan was in the early 90s. Right, I forgot about that. Mm -hmm. But yeah, from the moment we meet her, she's just the worst. Who says to their friend, 1490 Harvard in your face? Yeah. What a yeah. bitch. Mm-hmm. She is. And I was also wondering, she's such a bitch that she fits perfectly into the quote unquote popular crowd. Right. So what's her damage to be in the wallflower group? I have no idea. I don't even know what constitutes the wallflower group because I didn't realize it was a thing. <laughs> Okay, so this whole wallflower thing, according to Google, and I had to look this up, is some a wallflower is someone who's introverted and who doesn't socialize at a party or something like that. That's the person who's generally sitting on the sidelines and looking at everyone dancing, which we see Charlie do a couple of times, but he actively joins in. And then through the movie, the entire movie is happening with his friend circle, right? And he's he's the popular one in the wallflower group. So doesn't that exclude him from being a wallflower? Yes. Yes, it does. So what are the perks of being a wallflower if you're not a wallflower? Question for the ages. <laughs> and I'm sure if we asked uh, Stephen Chbosky, we would get a very Harry Styles-esque answer. <laughs> you know... What I loved about writing my book was that it really it felt, felt like, like a book. A book. <laughs> You're sounding a little bit like Trump. <laughs> it had words in it. It did. Lots of them. And that's the best part about words. There are more words. Yeah, they didn't all make sense, but they're there. <laughs> words. And, oh my God, this love scene between Charlie and Mary Elizabeth. <laughs> Yeah, 
it was extremely uncomfortable. All the making out in this movie was extremely uncomfortable. Doubly so now that I know that the age gap is 14 and 18. Yeah, just gross. I don't need to see mm-hmm. this. We've talked about this before. Uh, this is why Stranger Things uh, lost my viewership. I don't need to see teenagers making out, doing stuff, having clothes come off. No, ever. <laughs> you know, she's really close to throwing up right now. She's actually a bit nauseous. I even got a little grossed out looking at 24-year-old Chris Evans uh, recently in the Fantastic Four movie. (laughs) Yeah, that whole making out scene was weird. She was essentially trying to seduce him and he looked very uncomfortable. Yeah, as did we all. Mm -hmm. But I will say, one of the only realistic parts of this movie is after that first date at the dance, Mary Elizabeth's reaction. She assumes after that date that her and Charlie are now a couple. Yeah, true. That's normal. (laughs) That is absolutely 100% normal. Every teenage girl has been there. At least every Mm -hmm. straight teenage girl has been there. And if you say you have it, you're lying to yourself. (laughs) Every millennial celebrated a week anniversary at one point. Yeah, sure. And we're supposed to have sympathy for Charlie there. Yeah, but I don't know about you, but I certainly don't, because if he doesn't like her, and that's the one point we have Kate Walsh actually having a line and telling Charlie, you need to break up with her. Yeah, yeah, I don't have any sympathy for him there either. He's Mm -hmm. just stringing this girl along. She has no idea. Right, and it's made out to be that she's the pain in the ass. Absolutely. And that's why he doesn't like her. But whatever it is, no matter how terrible she may be, he needs to end it. And it goes along with the rest of the misogyny we're going to talk about for this movie. It just makes Mary Elizabeth look so terrible as a girl, as a woman, because like we said, she is a senior Mm -hmm. and now she's coupled up with this freshman. What does she see in him? I have no idea. I don't think anything, that's the problem, is I think she just wants a boyfriend, which that's a normal thing. You know, Mm -hmm. teenage girls just wanting a boyfriend, been there. Yeah. But it makes her look awful. Yeah. And it makes her look desperate to be going out with someone who's four years younger than her. Exactly. So here's a question for you. And it's funny how this ties in a little bit to Footloose and that suit of Mr. Bacon's. Mm -hmm. Uh, So how is it that these quirky, anti-establishment kids have apparently never heard of david bowie they don't know heroes yeah i don't know that's new to them Mm -hmm. i don't know yep man i just kept hoping one of those kids would get pancaked by an overpass and this would turn into a different movie (laughs) now i have a question for you i've been wanting to ask you this since i watched this movie okay Who do you think is the most sympathetic character in this film? Including the non-character characters? Yes. Anybody. I would say Charlie's family as a whole, probably. Interesting, because for me, the most sympathetic character in this movie is Brad. Yeah, I understand where you're coming from. He's in the closet. He's struggling. And For me, Patrick is number two. Mm -hmm. Okay. But Brad's number one. He's probably got more depth to his story than anybody else. Yeah. Even though he doesn't really have much to say or do. No. 
He's a supporting sub-character. Mm-hmm. In a movie like this, that can't happen. Your most sympathetic, compelling character has to be your protagonist. Right. That's just how screenwriting works. Yeah. And the reason I feel like the family as a whole is the most sympathetic character, per se, mm-hmm. is because they are so supportive of Charlie. Yes. Yet the screenplay makes them seem non-existent. Mm-hmm. And therefore negligent. Yes. But they're not. I mean, if I had a family half as supportive as them, I would be ecstatic. Yeah, I would still talk to them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Played it simple. Right. So we've talked a lot about these characters. Let's discuss even more about this plot here because things get really confusing. Mm-hmm. So maybe you can tell me, I hope, who the hell is Charlie writing this letter to? I think he's writing to that dead friend of his who remains unnamed. So that's what I was thinking. But he does get named. His name is Mike. Right. His best friend, Mike. So Mm -hmm. I'm like, who is friend? The way the narration is written, it sounds like a person who is both specific and vague. Mm -hmm. But then like the script just loses the thread entirely. It's never explained. Right. And his narration throughout also doesn't make a whole lot of sense. He's always talking about how he misses Aunt Helen. And the way things are worded, the script makes it seem like her death is a recent loss. Yeah. Yeah. So the first time I watched this movie, I was confused with the twist ending that came up. Came up. Mm-hmm. And secondly, since I saw this a couple of years ago, I was trying to recollect the, mo- the plot of the movie before I watched it again. And I remember thinking that, oh, so this was the trigger for him earlier. And that's why he went into the bad state of his. And then now he's recovering and having this entire movie happen. And then I see the flashbacks where he's a kid. He's little. Yeah. Really small. So I was like, oh, wait, how is this working? I'm not understanding. And they keep flashing back to her death. Yeah. As this very pivotal moment in his life at various points in the movie, even though it may or may not connect. Yeah, Chabosky is desperately trying to weave this whole idea of sexual abuse of, of sexual abuse and trauma throughout the movie, and he's got no idea what he's doing. Yeah, because, okay, if you want to do sexual abuse and trauma in the movie, then tell us there's some kind of sexual abuse happening. Don't make it seem like this boy is so heartbroken over his aunt's death. Yeah, and it's funny you should say that, because there is actually a ton of sexual abuse in the movie. For other characters. Yes, I'm talking about the main one. But what I mean is it's not addressed in any way as sexual abuse. Yep, true. It's just this screenplay is such a disaster. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you mentioned the bullying. Yes. No. What? No. Just no to all of it. (laughs) To all of it. It's such a common trope in these teen movies and high school movies. And I don't understand why this idea that, oh, fresh meat, you know, oh, the seniors are going to give you swirlies and come for the fresh. No. You know what the one thing is that seniors care about even less than homework? Fresh mint. <laughs> they don't care. 
at all. And anybody who's ever just been to high school knows this. Freshmen are invisible unless you're actively blocking their view or in their way, in which case they'll just bulldoze you. Freshmen are invisible. Yeah, this is something that I I was so confused about. Because, yes, you hear about bullying in schools and all of that, and it's a big issue. Yeah, I agree 100%. But this movie make it, makes it seem like these kids are borderline psychotic. Yes, you are absolutely right. And as far as all the dating goes, if you're still thinking that's okay, just flip the genders in your mind. Yeah. Imagine uh, Charlie is a 14-year-old girl instead and is lusting after the senior boy, Sam, not Samantha, just Samuel, you know, mm-hmm. do it that way in your mind. And ew, gross. Yeah. Can't have a double standard. Yeah. See, when you say Charlie as a girl's name, I couldn't help but think of Charlie from Friends. Yeah, I'm going to let that one go because Logan Lerman doesn't exactly look like Aisha Tyler. So that was <laughs> <No>. okay. <laughs> no, he is a major downgrade. And we also can't ignore uh, the the shop teacher when it comes to bullying. Yeah. How? What? How can how can that teacher, how can that be a thing? Yeah. Tom Savini here, just outright humiliating a student and calling him nothing. Nothing. Absolutely not. Yeah. You are not getting away with this shit. And then the movie makes it seem like this is totally fine. A totally normal way for a teacher to behave. It doesn't, does it? Because I was super pissed. Of course you're super pissed because it's terrible, but the movie doesn't address it. The movie just has other kids continue to call him nothing the whole movie. Right, that's the bullying part of it. Yeah, and the teacher faces no consequence. Everybody just laughs and they just go on with the class. Mm -hmm. And these classes are a problem too. By the way, that's a really nice woodworking shop. Which is also bullshit. No teacher is going to assign kids an at-home project that requires power tools. <laughs> that is nonsense. And two, Charlie's getting bullied in honors classes by mm-hmm. other honors kids mm-hmm. about homework. Yeah, the chick who was sitting next to him, what was her deal? Why was she so bitchy? I have no idea. I'm like, where did you transfer from, Southie? What is happening? You don't belong in this movie. You're not real. Yeah, yeah. I was so confused about the bullying. I'm so glad to hear that this is bullshit. Like other honor students, and I'm not by any means saying honors kids are perfect. No, absolutely not. But the idea in a high school like this, that the the honors kids are giving somebody a swirly because they handed a paper in early. Half of them are doing that. <laughs> What's a swirly? Stick your head in the toilet and flush. Oh, I see. Yeah, okay. it's not pleasant. Clearly. Oh, but the biggest thing this is worse than veganism. This is worse than not knowing David Bowie. This took the cake for me. We're calling the cafeteria the nutrition center. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> Yeah, I think these are the small things, the subtle things that just kind of put this movie in the sort of timeless, warped zone where you don't know what's what. Yeah, definitely. And we already said how ridiculous it is that the community theater would have children 
performing Rocky Horror. Yeah, and why are you performing Rocky Horror every year? And as far as Charlie goes, you're going to tell me that a 14-year-old boy in the early 1990s with major self-esteem issues would suddenly be okay with getting nearly naked and playing a transvestite in front of a huge audience of other students from his school? Exactly. And, and he is dancing next to an almost naked girl who he's very, very into. And he's not getting a boner? That's an excellent point. My brain just didn't want to go there. Wasn't going to do it. I couldn't help but think of it. You are so right. Like, in what world is this happening? Have you ever met a 14-year-old? They don't even want to, like, show their forearms in the pool. Mm-hmm. No 14-year-old is comfortable with their body. And Mary Elizabeth just telling him, strip, take your clothes off. Yeah, it's complete insanity for all of them. Not just Charlie, but the most for Charlie. Right. All right, so let's talk more about this sexual abuse. As far as Aunt Helen goes. <sighs> yeah. My thoughts exactly. So these flashback scenes, they are so poorly edited. Yeah. At certain points, you don't realize they're a flashback till the flashback's over. Yeah. And they come in randomly. Yeah, it makes the movie very clunky. Yeah, I don't know if Chbosky was trying to put in these flashbacks as a way of trying to show them as intrusive thoughts. It's hard to tell because. Like you said, it's hard to tell what triggers things with Charlie. Mm -hmm. So the first time he has a flashback to her, it seems to be triggered by uh, Ponytail Derek, uh, Hidden right. Candace. Mm -hmm. So that makes me think, okay, is Chabosky equating pedophilia with just hitting? And I'm not downplaying physical abuse by any means, but those mm -hmm. are two entirely different traumas and pathologies. Right. Unless his aunt beat him while sexually abusing him, then it would make sense. And I don't think that's what happened. No. Yeah. And like you said, twist ending, it's a problem. In order to have sympathy for Charlie, we needed to know about this sooner. If it was going to happen at all, I don't think it was necessary in any way. Um, so I think what he tries to use as a little hint is Helen saying to little Charlie, it's going to be our little secret mm -hmm. on second watch. I think maybe that's what he was trying to do, but it's not effective because she's getting him a present, a Christmas right. present. And that is something you actually do keep secret until the day. Right. You know, so that's what we're thinking. And I don't know if that's what she was talking about or not, but that's a perfectly innocuous thing to say in the context of Christmas presents. Yeah. And again, if you think about it, it's coming across as they were so close and she died. Exactly. The way he speaks about her does not match. Right. And if that is the case, that he's so traumatized by her death, why is he not so traumatized by his friend's suicide yeah he literally says about helen she was my favorite person in the world right it's just so clear that chabosky knows nothing about sexual abuse absolutely nothing and here's a question for you too 
why did he put in that like five second clip of the family going to church? I don't know. I think it was her funeral. No, it was Christmas. It was just mass. I have no idea. I have to wonder like, okay, the only reason you put this in here is to telegraph that the family is Catholic. And they visit church a couple of times in this movie. And we even see that before they eat dinner, they say their prayers. So they're religious. Now, see, I didn't get any kind of vibe that they were especially religious. Yeah. That's the thing. Like, is this supposed to be relevant to the pedophilia? Like that, that Catholic culture of denial? Or was Chabonsky trying to tell us that the priest also sexually abused this kid and he just didn't realize it? It's a legitimate question. I really have no idea. The culture issue is all I could think of because, because it does take place in the Northeast mm-hmm. and there is a ton of denial still about, even about sexual abuse in the Catholic Church in the Northeast. So maybe that's what they were, he was trying to get across. I don't know, but otherwise religion is irrelevant to the movie. So I just can't think of anything else. Right. I don't understand why they focus so much on the religion. And secondly, in the beginning of the movie, when they all sit down to sit down to dinner for the first time and we have Candace's boyfriend there and the father, he seems to come across as cold and Charlie in fact calls him sir for a moment there. And then after that, we see, we see Charlie's father helping him with his homework with the stupid clock and being so concerned about his well-being At first I thought, okay, part of his trauma is also that he's got a very controlling or a very strict father, but that's not the case. No, I have no idea what we're supposed to think about Charlie's parents. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So on that note, let's talk about them. And um, I would love to talk about other parents in this movie, but there aren't any. Right. Yeah. Which is a big old problem. Mm -hmm. And that's just one of the reasons that I will say this is unequivocally the whitest movie I have ever seen. And I can speak to that with some authority since I wear SPF 100 sunscreen. (laughs) Now you can attest to this. I asked you after I watched this movie for the first time, I said, do me a favor. When you're rewatching this, Mm -hmm. look for me because I checked. Tell me if you find a single person of color in this movie no i don't no not there no and we go to a football game where we see tons of people in the stands we go to a dance like there's ample opportunity for extras here we're in a school like not one single bit of melanin anywhere right and aren't many football players people of color yes so this whole movie is just dripping with white privilege and these Mm -hmm. giant parties that they have are evidence of that. Where the fuck are these parents? That and with the amount of drugs that these kids are doing, where they're getting the money from. Yeah. It looks like a goddamn frat house Mm -hmm. with all these cars just showing up, pulling up on the grass. Right. And this young kid, he's a 14 year old who Patrick has taken him to this party And one guy offers him a brownie and nobody, nobody warns him that it's a pot brownie. Yep. 
and they let him have the whole brownie. I'd be dead. Well, yeah, sure, you would be dead, but not others. They'd be in a very bad situation. Yeah. And they're all laughing at the stuff that he's saying, and they're thinking he's so profound. Yeah, because kids are stupid. The writer is stupid. Yeah. Oh, I agree completely. And that's why I say you have to be 13 to 17 to enjoy this movie because it's stupid. Mm -hmm. And kids that age are stupid. It's kind of their job. (laughs) And then we also have uh, Alice, the blonde, who is super rich. They tell us that uh, as as if we needed that telegraphed. But she goes around stealing jeans from the mall. Mm-hmm. And this is never addressed. It's never addressed, along with all the other issues that everyone seems to have. That's never addressed. So basically, the entire friend circle, we have Alice, who's a kleptomaniac. We have Mary Elizabeth, who's got anger issues, and she's a Buddhist. <laughs> I wouldn't call... Oh, I get it. <laughs> Look, I wouldn't call that an issue. Oh, I get it. <laughs> we have Patrick, who's gay. That's his damage. We have Sam, who was sexually abused. And we have Charlie, who has bad days because he was sexually abused and doesn't remember it. Uh, I will have to argue with that, Amy. Sam wasn't sexually abused. She just dated the wrong guys. Uh Uh-huh. Sure. So that's everyone's damage in this movie. Yeah. I forgot my point. (laughs) That is the whole movie. (laughs) And then, too, like, Charlie's dad also clearly isn't stingy with him. He asks him for 30 bucks. Dad gives him 50 instead because dad's just got a big old wad of 50s just chilling in the living room. And then we have the dis- this disconnect because when Charlie's in the hospital, he tells the doctor, I need to leave because my dad can't afford this. Yeah. Where is this hospital? In space? Is that why it's so expensive? The commute? <laughs> I mean, American healthcare is expensive. I was just wondering, why can't he be on insurance? Oh, I agree with you 100%. It doesn't make any sense. Hmm. And at the same time, he was there in the hospital for two months? A while, yeah. Yeah, because, so Sam left, and then he immediately has his breakdown, and she comes back the same day he comes back from school, and she says, I'm... I've been away from for two months mm-hmm. and it's a totally different world, yada, yada. So he's been in hospital for two months because he thought about killing himself. He didn't even actually do it. The cops came in time. Yeah, that's not in any way realistic either. No. He'd be a 48 hour hold. Yeah. And then be an outpatient in therapy. That's mm-hmm. it. Yes. And they'd probably put him on medication. Sure. And even then, he even if they have to bring him in every day for a talk, it's acceptable than putting him in a, in a room for two months. Yeah, I totally agree. But you know what was the clincher for me as far as these little rich kids? Mm-hmm. The Christmas gift exchange. Okay. He asked his dad for 50 bucks. 30 bucks. Asked him for 30, dad gave him 50. Right. Um. Yeah, these presents cost way more than that for all these kids where's all this money coming from so he gave mary elizabeth 40 dollars in cash Mm -hmm. and all the rest of them got really nice stuff right and they're all giving each other nice stuff 
buying him a fucking suit. Like, where are these children getting all this money? Because not a one of them has a goddamn job. True. And I don't know, is is Chabosky maybe trying to say, oh, privileged rich white kids have problems too. But if that's what he's trying to do, he wrote it so terribly because he makes it seem like Sam doesn't have any problems. <laughs> I, it's a mess, a mess. I don't know. I, I really don't know. I hope nobody's taking a drink every time we say I don't know in this episode. Yeah. I mean, if it's water, sure, you just need to pee a lot, but not alcohol. So let's talk more about the LGBTQ representation here. We're throwing around faggot a lot, aren't we? Yeah. And that was necessary because? To show the bullying, which again, for its time, it probably would have been appropriate if it's supposed to be in the mid-90s. Honestly, I don't think it is. Because the bullying is so unrealistic. And especially a girl saying that to Charlie, an honor student girl Mm -hmm. calling him a faggot over a trapper keeper? No. What's a trapper keeper? A thing you put notebooks in. A a binder. A fucking school supply. What's gay about that? That's what I'm saying. Yeah, her her bullying just seemed weird. I don't understand her, her bullying at all. Yeah, and I'm not saying bullying doesn't happen. Of course it does. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, but it seems like there are no teachers except for Mr. Anderson. Yeah, exactly. Chabosky doesn't know how to write it. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, Mr. Anderson kept taking me back to the Matrix. <laughs> me too, and I don't even like the Matrix. <laughs> I kept waiting for Hugo Weaving to come, come out. Mr. Anderson. I swear to God, I just thought to myself, like, Chabosky liked the Matrix. Sure. And that's why he did that. Okay. <laughs> Do you think he mentally cast Hugo Weaving as Mr. Anderson, the book, the teacher? No. No, Hugo Weaving can't play that role. Not even yeah. for three minutes. Not with that face. Not with that yeah. voice. No. That would have been weird. That would have been another sexual abuse situation with Charlie. At this point, everyone seems to be wanting Charlie's dick in some way or the other. Yeah, yeah. That must be some seriously good D. Stop it. (laughs) You're the worst. (laughs) So we do have two queer characters in this movie. However, they both get the shit kicked out of them and neither gets to be happy. Yeah. And one is horrifically abused. Yeah. Yeah, Brad's story has depth. Mm-hmm. It is realistic. Mm-hmm. Yes. And unfortunately, all too common still today, let alone mm-hmm. um, for the early 1990s. Right. And his father beat him up for being gay, which, again, is unfortunately something that happens. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody who beats their kid should be in prison. Yes. And not only is he beating his kid, but he's also forcing Brad to put on this whole act and be with girls, which is going to end up hurting them too. And Mm -hmm. poor Brad is going to end up, he's already an alcoholic. Yeah. You know, he's just going to continue to spiral until he either drinks himself to death or does it another way. Right. Yes. I feel so bad for this kid. He breaks my heart. And I feel bad for Patrick too. It's a terrible situation. 
Yeah, but here's the interesting thing. When Charlie's telling us so much about Brad and all this stuff, he makes it seem like Brad needs to drink himself to a stupor before he can do anything with Patrick. Yes. He is not mentioning alcoholism. Along with any other abusive situation, it's all just... So again, alcoholism is not mentioned in the movie. It's just a thing he does to be with Patrick. I see what you're saying. Okay, again, the muddling with the script there. Mm-hmm. So we don't see Brad. So we don't hear Brad getting drunk all the time. We just hear about him getting drunk when he's with Patrick. So is that are they trying to tell us that he can only be gay when he's drunk? Or is he so disgusted with himself that he needs to drink himself to a stupor in order to do what he wants to do? The latter. That's exactly what it's saying. You're right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, thinking about it now, that is just sitting even worse in my mind. I'm thinking about the time period here. This is early 90s. Who was the world also hearing about at this time period is Jeffrey Dahmer. Okay. Jeffrey Dahmer had to drink himself into a stupor before committing his crimes. Mm-hmm. Against men, other gay right. men. Right. So yeah, that that makes it even worse in my mind just having that connection because in that case so many men lost their lives because of homophobia, because mm-hmm. cops didn't want to investigate Jeffrey Dahmer because they thought it was just oh oh a gay thing ew we don't want to we don't want to deal with that right and then we also hear that Patrick was the one that helped Brad stop drinking that his family wasn't involved mm-hmm. they also probably didn't know about it. he was probably hiding that okay and they were too blind to see it because anybody who doesn't notice that their kid is drinking heavily bunch of idiots yeah and where's he getting the fucking money that's what I mean. Where are they getting the money? He's probably stealing it from his parents' liquor cabinets. Mm-hmm. That sort of thing. Stealing it from wherever, having older siblings buy it. Or, hey, this is the early 1990s and he's a football player. He's probably just getting served wherever. Right. It's Pittsburgh. What did you think of the whole brawl at the end? I don't like it. No, me either. When, yeah. we, have, when we have the two queer characters just beating the shit out of each other. Yeah, that's... Violence and homophobia and for obvious reasons are connected, but violence in gay men has always been sort of interconnected in media. You see so many times this trope play out with gay men beating each other for whatever reason. And a part of me also was pissed off with Patrick because what did you expect? Yeah. You know, Patrick goaded him knowing that It's not going to end well, especially after Brad's father just beat him up over it. And I don't think that's too unrealistic because I think that's, you know, a teenager who's very angry and very hurt and doesn't know what to do Mm -hmm. with those feelings. So I was okay with the realism there in terms of Patrick's anger Mm -hmm. because he wouldn't be making very good decisions in that moment. Right being that hurt that pissed and also but here's the thing as a gay person who patrick is not in the closet but he would understand a gay person's struggle far more than a straight person would 
So him goading Bra- Brad is far more of a problem. Not only because he understands why Brad is in the closet, he literally saw him getting beaten up by his father and didn't do anything about it and couldn't do anything about it. Yeah. Yeah. Patrick's lucky he didn't get beaten himself by the father. Right. Yeah. So goading him into trying to come out in front of everyone is ridiculous because as a gay person, you go through a lot more introspection than a straight person because you were struggling with your identity, especially in those teenage years. Yeah. Even though Patrick is very comfortable with his sexuality at this point, he must have had a lot of lot to struggle with himself before he came out and before he said, okay, this is who I am. Yeah, that is a thousand percent fair. You're absolutely right. And it's another example of Chbosky having no idea how to write a character. Yes. And on the other hand, even if Patrick was a straight guy who found out about, about Brad, a straight person or a gay person trying to goad someone out of the closet when it is not safe for them, And they are not ready for it is a huge problem. Yeah, you're right. So I had said earlier regarding Charlie that he starts out neutral for me, becomes an asshole, and then Mm -hmm. he kind of redeems himself. I do respect him for intervening here because Patrick would have been killed by these maniacs, these animals. Sure, absolutely. But I don't understand the reasoning of trying to make him black out for it. Yeah. You know what this reminded me of a little bit? The similar scene in uh, Spider-Man. Which Spider-Man? Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Original. When Tobey Maguire's Peter Parker attacks Flash and everybody looks at Peter in the end like he's the asshole. Mm -hmm. Like he's super scary. I feel like Chbosky was kind of using that as a template here because... All the kids kind of look at Charlie like he's crazy. And I think that's the point of the blackout. The the Chbosky's trying to show here he went so crazy that he could have killed these kids, even though he's this tiny freshman going after these fucking football players. It's ridiculous. Yeah. He he does he doesn't have suddenly superhuman strength. No. No, it's it's again with this whole mental health angle that he doesn't understand. Yeah, you don't need to black out in order to have mental health issues and vice versa. Yeah, I think that was the only way. Chbosky wanted to give Charlie this moment of redemption. And he figured taking out these bullies on his own was was the way to do that. He's like, hmm, how can I make this seem realistic? Blackout. I've seen movies. Yeah, and again, it's self-indulgent because look at me. I'm helping my friends. And at the same time, if he's so hulkish and he completely blacked out and beat up all these kids, why is Sam not afraid of him? She should be afraid of him, not hugging him. She'll be grateful to him for helping her brother, sure. But not suddenly wanting to make out with him. Yeah, well, that's not um, the only making out that happens. So things get patched up with everybody. And after the whole... Brad fiasco. Patrick takes Charlie out on the town. They're just hanging out. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to scream when Patrick kisses Charlie. Yeah. What was the point of that? 
other than to reinforce the idea, the ridiculous notion that gay guys are sex crazed and try to push themselves on straight guys? I don't know. And that's not just for gay guys, too. There's this whole undercurrent of queer people being predatory, of influencing innocent straight people into their dark ways. Amy, are you telling me that as a bi person, you're not attracted to every human you see? What? Yeah, I know, right? It's a revelation. (laughs) Why am I not willing to jump into bed with every person I see walking down the street? I mean, yeah, there are plenty of other ways to just show that Patrick is hurting, that he's brokenhearted and angry. It's called dialogue. Yeah. That's all you need. And why would Charlie be just okay with his friend just randomly kissing him? Yeah, and that has less to do with any kind of sexual orientation than my friend just Mm -hmm. tried to kiss me. You know what I mean? Yeah. You'd be weirded out. Big time. So in another way, what the kind what this movie is showing is that everybody wants Charlie. It's like the teenage version of Everybody Loves Raymond. Yeah. <laughs> but not nearly as funny. No, not at all funny. And now we come to the misogyny. Yay. <laughs> so let's start with mother, since she doesn't have a name. How many words does she speak? I think we can count on both hands. I think it would fit in a tweet. Yeah. So, like I said, there are a number of like awful lines. There are also some really weird lines in this movie. So when the older brother comes home, which I kind of felt like was out of nowhere, like, oh, there's another brother? Okay. Yeah. Why was he never mentioned? I don't know, but he was definitely like a young Michael Shannon. Mm-hmm. When he comes home, he looks at Kate Walsh and says, you look so thin. And she gives him a big smile and thanks him. And I'm like... I don't remember this line. Yeah. I'm like, what was that about? Right. That's a weird compliment when the mom is barely a character. So we've heard nothing about any kind of weight loss for her. And and that also made me realize there's not a single overweight person in this movie either. Everybody's fucking perfect looking. (laughs) Yeah. Like there wasn't even a fat tuba player in the band. (laughs) Or in the crowd. And that line especially stood out to me because of something uh, Sam says, which I'm going to get into when we get to her. So also with the mom, we see a flashback to uh, Charlie finding out that Aunt Helen's dead. Mm Mm-hmm. For absolutely no reason, we get one of those close-ups you love on the mother's wrist where we can see vertical scars indicating an old suicide attempt. Right. Yeah. So this is towards the end of the movie when he's contemplating suicide. And we keep seeing this flashback and this time we see this extra information where she tried to kill herself. But through this flashback, She's crying over her sister's death and Charlie, young Charlie, is holding a hand in support. That's the flashback which gets, which gets extended into the scars on the wrist. Yeah, I have no idea what Chabosky is trying to say here. Right, and if she has scars on the wrist, why is that not something that we see otherwise? 
We never see her wearing full sleeves. No. It's just, well, we have to have a, another woman who's a victim here. So she failed trying to kill herself. Yeah. So what is the point that mental illness runs in the family? Well, at one point, he also literally calls Helen insane. Who? Charlie. He says that Anne Helen was insane. Right. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So maybe you're right. Maybe that is what he's trying to say. So the other two siblings didn't get the same issues. I guess not. But uh, Candace definitely has issues because she's letting Pony tell Derek's macker around. Right. But she finally ends up breaking up with him. Yeah. But at the same time, and this happens over and over again, Chabosky fails to address this. He has Candace saying the, the classic, I egged him on. It was mm-hmm. my fault. Right. And that's it. Yeah. We don't see Ponytail Derek beyond that. But we know she's still with him till she eventually breaks up with him. Yeah. And Charney tells her that this is the same thing as Aunt Helen. So he knows that Helen was abused. Again, what they're trying to say, that women getting abused runs in the family, like they want it to happen. I I have no idea. And I want to be clear, when I say Candace was letting herself get smacked around, I'm I'm speaking from Chabosky's point of view there. Right, yeah. Yeah. So the whole Aunt Helen storyline, the pedophilia storyline specifically, mm-hmm. I just found so completely unnecessary. You could have had this movie, you could have had Charlie's trauma just with keep Aunt Helen Okay, keep her death and that she died in a car accident going to buy him a Christmas present. That's survivor's guilt. That that's that's one. And then mm-hmm. the friend Michael's suicide. That's two. That is more than enough for a kid to have serious mental health issues. Mm-hmm. She did not need to be a pedophile on top of all the other misogyny in this movie. On one hand, I do appreciate that a woman is a pedophile, not in the <laughs> Not in the uh, pedophilia's good way, but man, if I could edit, no. I could edit. <laughs> but the fact that women can be predators too is something that is rarely addressed, and it's addressed in this movie in a very bad way. But it is addressed. I appreciate that. I get what you're saying, and I do want to rattle off a stat about that here. So, mm-hmm. it is estimated that eighty to ninety percent of sex offenders are male. Mm-hmm. About 40% of sex offenders of children under 12, so of Charlie's age bracket, are children or adolescents themselves. Mm -hmm. So the odds of a woman in her 30s being a pedophile with this age bracket are extremely slim. And I I get what you're saying about Mm -hmm. addressing that it can't happen, but just combined with everything else so horribly written for every woman in this movie, it's atrocious. It is atrocious. But it's not something that you see every day. But that that being said, I'm not defending the storyline. Right, right. I think, again, another thing where I feel that it is so self-indulgent because it feels like Chabosky just wants you to cry for Charlie. Like, oh, poor Charlie, you're so strong, you're so this, because you've gone through so much. And you have all the world's troubles and you are still surviving and still standing and 
still on that truck, putting your arms up and not falling flat on your face. The more we talk about this, the more I am convinced that Charlie is Chbosky. Yes, he is 100%. Because he is very much the hero of his own story. Yes. And there have been studies where people who have been through trauma, not necessarily physical trauma, like or something very obvious, like physical abuse and sexual abuse. This tends to be more in the cases of emotional abuse, gaslighting, abandonment, parental abuse that is invisible, wherein the abuse is there, but it's not socially recognized. So in the victim's mind, they tend to want more abuse to happen to them to justify how they feel because they don't realize that they're being abused, but they feel abused. So it's in a fucked up way. They want to be more fucked up to justify how fucked up they are. You get what I'm saying? I do. But it also comes back to, you know, Paul Rudd's line of, uh, he's absolutely right. We accept the love we think we deserve. And that abuse just destroys a person. Yes, it does destroy a person. But in this case, that's not what I'm saying, that he wants to accept the abuse. And I'm not saying that abused individuals will specifically go to someone to get someone to beat them up. But it does happen. Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, it's also it's also their status quo. It's what they know. Right. But it's a way of processing their abuse. So the reason why I think Chabosky did this and just wanted to dump all the abuse in the world on Charlie was just his way of trying to tell us that Charlie's mental health issues are so justified because of all the stuff that's happened to him. And I think it's a lot of patriarchal bullshit too. Because in a lot of ways, he's saying, oh, these girls have had it easy. They're fine. They're totally fine. Mm -hmm. Nobody else's problems are more important than mine. Right. Being Charlie. Yep. And now we come to Sam. (laughs) So I will say this. Patrick and Sam, I like their relationship. It's nice to actually see like a movie featuring step siblings where they're super close because it's usually Mm -hmm. the opposite. Right. Yeah. There's resentment, but in this case, there isn't. Sam is the worst written character in this movie. She's a very shallow character. And she shouldn't be. Mm -hmm. Chabosky writes it that way. It's just absolutely criminal. And he has her say some things. Oh, my God. This movie was not written in the 90s. This movie came out in 2012. And you're having a woman say, I love bulimia? Yeah. That was weird. It was weird. It was disgraceful. And here's the thing. Like, okay, if you're going to use a line like that, it has to be in the context of showing how awful these kids are. If that's the kind of movie you're making. Mm -hmm. But the rest of the movie has Sam on a pedestal and makes her out to be the most wonderful human being. Yeah. Her writing reminds me of... Mary Jane from Spider-Man. Again, see, I'm telling you, this guy has seen Spider-Man too many times. (laughs) Not in the sense that Sam would leave her fiancé at the altar and run away, but Charlie puts Sam at a pedestal, and that is why we see her in that light all the time. Just like Peter Parker did with Mary Jane. Yeah, that's a good comparison. So Charlie discovers that when Sam was a freshman, 
senior boys used to get her drunk at parties and have sex with her. Mm -hmm. And he says, quote, I guess she had a reputation. Mm -hmm. The boys will be boysness of this movie, of this script is fucking disgraceful. Mm -hmm. How many times was this girl raped? Yeah. And we're supposed to believe that she's now this amazingly well-adjusted kid? Yeah, the only thing that makes us feel like she's not well-adjusted is because she doesn't believe she's going to go to college. Oh, no. That's never happened in a teen movie. Right. And that people like us can actually go to a good college. Is there like a checklist of how many times you've had sex in the admission forms? (laughs) Or been raped in the admission forms? Clearly, they're not addressing this as rape. They're saying sex. No. But she was a slut, and that's why she will automatically not be allowed in college. It is beyond awful. And just when you think it can't get worse, Chabosky does you one better. Because Sam tells Charlie, and I, Emma Watson, honey, I, I can't even imagine you having to say this. Her first kiss, quote, her first kiss came when she was 11 Mm -hmm. from her father's boss. Boss. Mm -hmm. And that's totally cool. Stephen Chabosky. This is what I mean. This is why I looked up allegations to see if there were allegations against him. That is not a first kiss. That is sexual abuse of a minor. Yeah. That's its own pedophilia. It is. And that's the thing. Nobody's addressing that they've been abused. No, no. The movie just says, oh, this is a normal thing. Oh, I made some some poor choices. Quote, I used to sleep with guys who treated me like shit. You're not 35. You're a child. Which, you know, I get from a certain point of view because she's a kid. She doesn't understand that she's been abused, especially with the 11 year old situation when her father's boss kisses her for her to not realize that that was not okay is understandable but this is a pattern for everyone how is it that none of them have realized that what they're saying what they're feeling is not normal and they're all just sort of each other's echo chamber and they're all each other's worst influence and distracting themselves with drugs yeah and another thing that pissed me off about this is we again see that the that Charlie's parents are supportive and clearly care about his mental health. They find him unconscious outside after taking, I suppose, LSD. And they just let it go and they just let him hang out with the same group of friends. Yeah. When yeah. his mental health is already so fragile, he's probably on medication. Taking recreational drugs is going to fuck him up. Yeah. And let's be clear. Plenty of kids experiment with recreational drugs. Not here to uh, lecture, to discuss the wisdom of that. But no 14-year-old should be taking LSD. That's not something you fuck around with Mm -hmm. at 14 years old. That will fuck you up for the rest of your life. Right. And it's not like him just saying, oh, I woke up. I was so tired. That's why I was unconscious is going to fly because he was in a hospital. They would have tested him. Yeah, and his vital signs 
and all of that would have been a big indicator that something was really wrong. Mm-hmm. And he's taking LSD after saying he sees things. Yeah. Already. His parents should be should have been freaking out. I also think Charlie wasn't freaking out enough for a 14-year-old on LSD. <laughs> Honestly. Yeah. At the very least, he, he's the one who should have been doing the shoving like, physically. Like, he should have been the snow angel and, like, crawling around on his back in the snow <laughs> pretending to be a crab. But also, when he had his brownie and he was high, one minute he doesn't realize he's high. The next minute he's telling Patrick, I'm as baked as a cake. Yeah. So make up your mind. Yeah. The whole movie, this is how I'll sum it up, is the patriarchy at work, the white patriarchy at work, because this is a movie written and directed by a white guy who has no idea what he's doing that clearly got a rubber stamp from another bunch of white guys who mm-hmm. had no idea what they were talking about at a studio and was just greenlit and they went ahead with it. Mm-hmm. And because it has Emma Watson in it, a whole bunch of teenagers were like, yay, this is real. This makes sense. <laughs> we love this. Look, they're, st- they're standing up while they're driving. Oh, my God. Yeah, I mean, as a teenager, you would find this movie extremely profound and every teenager would relate to at least one of the characters because every teenager is so angsty. Yeah, which is a big problem because I wouldn't want them to relate to anyone because like we've said a million times, nothing's addressed. The movie mm-hmm. has horrible messages. Mm-hmm. All right. So on that note, Aim, <laughs> out of six possible infinity stones or tabs of acid, whichever you want to pick today, how many infinity stones do you give the perks of being a wallflower? I think I give it a one. Wonder Woman 84 territory? That's the benchmark for a one. Yeah. Yeah. Because these kids are just so pretentious and awful and it's just too self-masturbating kind of angst porn for Chabosky for me to give it anything else. I'd actually want to give it a zero. So coming into this recording, I was going to give it two. Mm -hmm. But after talking about it for the last two hours, I'm also going to give it a one. Okay. For the same reasons. I will never watch this torture again. I won't either. But a part of me is morbidly curious to read the book to see how much better or worse it is. If you want to be a masochist, be my guest. (laughs) I don't think I can handle it. If anyone has read it, please let us know. So election day is right around the corner. If anyone listening uh, is a member of the military or you know somebody who is who might be having trouble finding like absentee ballot resources, I just wanted to give everybody a resource in the show notes. There is a link for the Federal Voting Assistance Program that makes it easy for uh, those of us like myself in the military community to, uh, to get their vote on. Is that what the kids say? They say, right? They get their vote on. i think you've been watching too much of perks of being a wallflower no i think i've been watching too much of the west wing actually (laughs) and after voting you deserve a good fap i mean goes along with (laughs) politics doesn't it yeah yeah i mean all of them are just basically fapping over each other right 
oh, I don't need these images in my mind. <laughs> so what Amy is actually referring to is uh, our podcaster heart attack prevention program. And this is just our silly way of saying that social media can be very glitchy sometimes and Twitter's been having some problems lately. Yeah. So sign up for an email list so that we can stay in touch. Yeah. Email is forever, guys. Yes, indeed. Just like vinyl is forever, in, according to this movie. Well, I mean, it is back. It is. And that's another thing that I was very confused about. In the 1990s, vinyl was not such a thing. Yeah. Nope. No, it wasn't. But what is a thing is your conference. Yes, the National Women's Studies Association Annual Conference. So I am honored to be a presenter at this event uh, in November. I am going to be giving a presentation on women's representation in comic book films. And I am specifically talking about the live action Spider-Verse. I'm coming for you, Raby. <laughs> I'm going to be in Minneapolis in November. So bring it. I think I just figured out what her next year's presentation is going to be. It's going to be about figuring out the timeline of this movie. Possibly. She really did a homework over there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it turns out that airlines and hotels uh, do, in fact, not accept Monopoly money. So I could use a little help in paying for all the travel expenses for the trip. Uh, the link for my GoFundMe campaign is in the show notes, and I would greatly appreciate any donations. And please, please, please share the link on your social media platforms. Any donation, any share is so much more than just a plane ticket or a hotel room, guys. It means standing with women everywhere. Yes, and every time you donate, an angel gets her wings. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so this month over on Patreon. At the $5 level and above, we've got Remembering Robin Williams for the Gump Files. Yes, and for our $10 listeners, we've got our Tea with the Madams episode. <laughs> and we are having so much fun with the cast of Don't Worry, Darling. Yeah. Don't <laughs> worry, darling. It's a fun episode. Oh, it certainly is. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us at the movies today. I'm Madam Chris. And I'm Madam Amy. Let us know what you think about the perks of being a wallflower, movie or book, on Twitter and Instagram at The Madam's Pod. And follow us there to get a hint for our next episode. And visit our website, themadamspod.com, where Infinity Stones will always be a girl's best friend. I know, I'll cut that out. <laughs> <laughs>